You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. Real whales, yeah, but not yes. narwhals, narwhals. So narwhals, narwhals, Hopefully, yes. if you're not already... What can they teach us? Does it grow out of their face or does it grow out, like come out of their mouth? No, it's, it's like through the skin. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. And we're doing narwhals, not, we just said this, not narwhales. That's right. <laughs> not to be confused. <laughs> yes, How- they are narwhals. However, people in general are probably just excited to hear about them and learn about them and know that they are not just a myth. No, they are real. Uh, my beautiful, wonderful, amazingly Super intelligent and smart cousin Johanna. I believe she just found out uh, in her mid thirties that narwhals are actually real. <laughs> and not, no way, yeah. <laughs> not a myth, <laughs> and not a myth because as, if you stick with us, as you learn more about their physiology and what they look like, uh, that they are unicorns of the sea, literally. Right, right. And yes. everybody knows that unicorns are a myth. Okay. Yes. So I think that that's maybe what led her to believe that it was just um, a cool icon or cartoon figure. And so, yeah, she was very pleasantly surprised when she learned that they were actually real critters. <laughs> real, uh, real whales, huh? <laughs> real whales, yeah. But not yes. narwhals, narwhals. So narwhals, narwhals, Hopefully, yes. if you're not already a fan of narwhals, which I feel like anybody who's ever – seen a picture of them or read about them or seen a little clip or anything or a cartoon, I feel like you're probably already on bar- on board with narwhals. Yes, yes, yes. But if you're not, stick with us, and I I promise you will be at the end. They are really cool. And it's, you know, not only unicorns of the sea, there's another cetacean, a whale. The couple weeks ago, Angie and I covered a story. That's what made us want to do this one that there was a narwhal hanging out with belugas, which when we get a little bit later in the podcast, I think I know why maybe that narwhal was hanging out with those belugas. So maybe we'll be able to answer that question. Chris, do you think that narwhal was singing, baby, 
Baluga. <laughs> Probably. Baby. Baluga. Was it a male narwhal? I think yeah, was a it a male song. narwhal or a female narwhal? Because it depends. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it depends. It yes. does depend. Yes. That's true. Now, do you know where the word narwhal comes from? Did you see that? The Latin word? No, just what, why they call them narwhals. Where it came from. It's no, okay. It's not it's Latin. Not. It's Norse. I, okay. Yeah, which okay. makes sense because they're up in the Arctic, which we're going to cover here in a second, where they range. So you obviously had the Vikings. So nar means corpse-like. And then the whales, you know, narwhals. So what they, what they thought was because older narwhals, as you're going to learn, are more white in color. And so underneath they look like drowned sailors. So they're like corpse-like whales is what they call them, narwhals. So that's where the, the meaning comes from. That is interesting. I did not catch that. I, I picked up on that their scientific name, Monodon monosaurus. Oh, good. Yeah. That means one tooth, one mm-hmm. horn. Right. So uh-huh. Mono, I thought that yeah, was one. interesting. Yeah, Monodon yeah. monosaurus. So yeah, good, yeah. good. But I didn't pick up on the on the corpse like sailor whale. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> Which you would think the beluga looks more like that, right? The, right, the white whale, right? But it, maybe yeah. it's a location thing, or yeah, mm-hmm. no. Mm-hmm. But I love that history. Cool factoid, Chris. Now, before we get rolling, Angie, you know we're we're in our second year of the podcast, so you know I wanted to start begging and pleading with our audience to help us grow this. We've I we've know. done it almost. We've done a year. We've done over a year. I can't believe it's been. It's been that long because as I'm reading to my children or watching mm-hmm. Discovery Channel or a nature channel uh, or flipping through my news feed because I follow a lot of wonderful nature organizations and animal groups, I'm always like, oh my gosh, we haven't covered this and we haven't covered that. We haven't oh, covered this. And there's so many tax on that are super underrepresented in this podcast. So right. we've got a long ways to go is what yes, I, I guess. Yes. <laughs> Um, so yes, please help us stick around. That's for sure. Thank you for No, it, yes. You know, please, if you can share it to a friend, you know, if everybody did that, next thing you know, we're, we're at a few thousand listeners a week and then we're up to 10,000 listeners a week, then a hundred thousand listeners a week. And then we're huge. So if you can just share it with a friend, I like your, I like your math. (laughs) (laughs) That's really one of my favorite traits about you is your optimism. So I appreciate your optimistic (laughs) math with extra zeros in it. I'm sick of it just being our mothers listening to this podcast, right? I know, but they love us. My mom finally doesn't think I, she finally fixed the volume on her. So she doesn't think I talk too loud. Too and loud. And yeah. she's, and she fixed the speed on it. So she doesn't think I talk too fast. I think she, yeah. she had it like on chipmunk speed. So. Oh gosh. Um, yeah. No wonder why. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No. So I mean, yeah, we've got listeners from all over the world, you know, down under. Good day, mate. And, you know, up in Russia, we have some listeners yes. and Norway. You know, Norway, we have listeners. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's fun doing this. So if you can help us grow this year, we're going to really push it hard. You know, in our second year, we've got an incredible slate of animals coming up. We've, we've got interviews scheduled and we're just going to keep pushing. So thank you. And yeah, please make recommendations on animals because I know there's a lot more (laughs) obscure ones in the different countries that you are from and help educate us. And the rest of the world as well and make your suggestions on our Facebook 
page, or of course you can always uh, go to our webpage and email us, mm-hmm. whatever's more convenient. But yeah, I would love to hear suggestions of what people would like to hear more of. More birds? Are you into more reptiles? More megafauna? Hoofstock? I'm sure everybody wants more hoofstock. Yes. I do this podcast <laughs> for the next five years just on hoofstock. Hoofstock, <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. I mean, I just... You know, every time I see an article, like, you know, now you're seeing giraffes. Some giraffes are, you know, critically endangered. And you're like, I don't know. But we just covered giraffes. Now orangutans, you know. And we did them. And we did the saula, the unicorn on land. And there's just so many cool species we've covered. And there's so many more. You know, millions. Millions. So, now you want to stay tuned. Yes, they do. Now, you want to stay tuned because at the end, I'm going to answer for you, which animal has the longest tusk ever found? Ever found. Hmm. So, you were betting on what? Well, if I had to take an educated guess, I would probably say uh mammoth or uh is it a mastodon? Those are the similar ones. Mm, maybe. Maybe. Okay. But it's okay. not those, no. Oh, Maybe. oh man! You tease. <laughs> See, okay, you, you have to wait to find I guess out. I will. I will. I will stick around. I yeah. <laughs> with bells I hope on. so. <laughs> now the narwhal, it's their their tusk, their single tusk or tooth is can be as big as ten feet long. So that's pretty phenomenal. One story long. That's, that is crazy. That's taller than you. Almost you and yes. a half, oh, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a story. It's a story tall of a house, yeah. a, a normal house. Like, holy smokes. You know what? Over three meters, right? Three to four meters. That is a long, long, long tusk for an animal that can get up to 17 or 18 feet. Generally, they're, what, 13, 14 feet. So their tusks are almost as long as their body, which is crazy. It's crazy. That is It's crazy. a crazy adaptation. Yeah, it's, we're going to get more into the tusk and what it does or what they think it does, but you know, it's just a long tooth and it's got tons of nerve endings on it. So that's going to be uh, important when we get to it. Now, only males usually have a tusk and only 15% of females have tusks. Correct. So you do see, you do see narwhals without them and those are female. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And in rare cases, um, a right tooth. Well, because the tusk is generally their left tooth that forms the tusk. But in some occasions, the right tooth can form a tusk and it'll like twist in the same directions. And, right. and even more rare occasions, for whatever that's worth, more, more rare than rare, uh, two tusks can develop. And this, oh, wow. This has been wow. Seen that would be, this, yeah. yeah, this has been seen before in females. But okay. it is a rare okay. event, so... Typically, if you see a tusk narwhal, it's a male. Now, the babies are born blue-gray, the adults are mottled gray, and then the old adults are nearly white, yeah. right? So that's where that drowned sailor came from. Yeah, and then, well, and they're also described in a lot of the literature as countershaded, which means that they're dark on the top and, like you said, lighter on the bottom. And they basically, yeah, they change, which is kind of cool, they change colors as they age. Right. So the older they are, they're almost... They're more closer to white or more white on them. Right. And then some of the, the animals we've covered, the manta rays and the whale sharks and, and blue whales to an extent, they all have that countershade, which is, again, you think about it, if a predator is looking down 
or prey items looking down the the whale's darker so it's harder to see and then when you look up to the the surface they're white underneath so it's harder for them to see that that animal or that narwhal which which has it so yeah they're just beautiful they're just beautiful beautiful whales yeah and and their head is i don't know comparatively but it it is relatively small and the the snout is bluntish Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. and their flippers are short and rounded and they don't have a dorsal fin. No. Nope. Um, but they. Well, they have that long ridge and the belugas. And I'm going to get to the family here in a minute. Belugas very, very similar. So in the narwhal, that ridge is a little bit more defined than say in a beluga whale. But yeah, really cool stuff. Now up to 18 feet. I mean, that's from nose to tail. That's a small, medium sized whale, right? What? If we go, that's about the size of a large great white, you know, mm-hmm. 18 feet. That's sure, a huge, yeah. that's a huge great white. And I don't want to see that. No, thank no, you. no, 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 no. <laughs> the, you know, in comparison, humpback whales are, you know, 15 meters. And again, our blue whales are a hundred feet long. So, I mean, again, that was such a cool episode. These blue whales are just fascinating, fascinating. Oh, creatures. they are. And then they do weigh up to 4,200 pounds, you know, or 1,900 kilograms. So. Right, right, yeah, that's pretty big. I mean, that yeah, that struck me. I guess I don't, I didn't realize that 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 they were that that they would weigh that much. But interestingly enough, Chris, that's their weight is one third blubber. Jeez, yeah, well, yeah, one third. Yeah. So <laughs> that sure made me feel good about myself. Let's be real, thirty three percent fat, pure fat, <laughs> not body fat. Just, yeah, yuck. that's just yeah. blubber, you know, because they do have fat in their organs and stuff. Well, that's, yeah, that's a good, that's a good segue because they live in the Arctic and they're, you know, really up in the, under the sea ice for a long time, up to five months of the year. They, they really hunt under the sea ice. So you find them in Canada and around Greenland and then north of Norway and Finland and Russia, right? They're not off the coast. They're actually north on the sea ice or under the sea ice. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So they need that blubber. I mean, it's, it's frigid. It's frigid. Yeah. Well, as we're as we're approaching the winter months here in North America, I definitely could use a little bit more blubber and or <laughs> winter coats. Or I I can't even begin to think what it, how much fat or war- insulation. Let's right. just use the word insulation, whether it comes from a, the form of blubber or from the, the form of your North Face winter coat. Uh, I can't begin to imagine how much you must need to. St- Keep your body temperature up in that kind of environment. Right, right. And the in the frigid sea. I mean, it's frozen at the top, right? So the water's near freezing absolutely. or freezing. Ugh, yeah, cold, mm-hmm. cold, 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 cold. Them and the polar bears and the walruses, right? <laughs> but these guys do migrate a little bit during the summer, right? They they drop mm-hmm. down into deep bays and fjords, and I guess there's there's a large population um, in. East Canadian Arctic and Northwest Greenland mm-hmm. that will house them in the summertime. So they, they do follow the trends a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, in general though, they are in cold water. Most, I mean, really overall, very, they're a, an Arctic diving, swimming, yes. driving, yes. thriving, loving, animal. loving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. They love it. If you put them at the equator, they would roll over dead because it's so hot. Now, you know, it's interesting. Okay, so we've covered polar bears. We've covered reindeer or caribou. We've covered 
the walrus just a few weeks ago. Now we're covering another Arctic animal. Here's the narwhal. Why care? You know, we, we keep going on this with global warming. The sea ice is disappearing. It's obviously going to impact fish populations. So it's going to turn around and influence whale populations, which again, all of them are just critical that, that healthy ecosystem, right? So, you know, what are some of the reasons we should care about an animal that lives way up at the North Pole? Because they're so cool looking. <laughs> yeah, they are, they are cool looking. <laughs> um, and if that answer doesn't satisfy you, uh, the narwhal is is really rich in tradition and culture for a lot of the Inuit people of the northern Arctic regions. It's been part of their culture for hundreds of thousands of years. And they've historically been used as a staple food source for Arctic people. Um, and their, their bodies have, their carcasses and bodies have had a number of uses. Of course, blubber can be oil and their intestines, which is called sinew. I think I'm saying that right. Sinew is often used as thread. And of course the tusks, tusks can be traded and carved historically. Um, and today the main product is called a mattock, which is skin with some blubber attached and ivory. And these products from the narwhal are only used and traded typically from animals that have been hunted in Canada and Greenland for food uh, for the Arctic people. And they basically help bolster the economy locally. And of course, there are some right, there are many regulations as far as other people hunting these animals, but it is something to be considered today as far as how many animals as far as how many narwhals are being taken out of the water, because you don't necessarily want to um, hinder uh, traditional people's food sources, especially in a remote region like that, where there's not a lot of... There's not much. Yeah, there's not much. <laughs> there's no supermarkets. You, you, <laughs> you can only not. eat so much snow and ice, right? Um, yes. For sustenance. Uh, yes. But in the same instance, it's kind of going to be a fine balance, and this is a lot of part of what conservationists and people at the IUCN are trying to look at numbers as far as how to maintain healthy populations. Um, but with that being said, besides a positive impact for humans for food, uh, there's starting to be some interest in narwhals for ecotourism and, of course, research and education. So that could be the more that people are interested in learning about narwhals and want to see them or go out on boat tours, the more money that can be poured into some of these Arctic uh, mm-hmm. areas that don't have a lot of staple income. So potentially could, uh, you know, could really, could really benefit their local economy, which is always really important. Um, but I mean, honestly, the research shows that there's still over a thousand narwhals killed each year between Canada and G- Greenland which is thought to probably it's be not, above the sustainable level. And we'll talk a little bit. Yeah. More. We'll talk yeah. a little bit more about their generation interval and the, you know, their age. I mean, breeding, we might as well throw it, maturity. Yeah. Throw it out there. Now there's only, they, they assume about 123,000. Right. So that's what IUCN estimates. Yes. So a thousand a year, you know, that's a downward trajectory for that species. Correct. And that's just for hunting alone. And as Chris mentioned mm-hmm. previously, yeah. um, and we'll touch more on in the pot, but uh, there are a lot of other issues when you're mm-hmm. an animal swimming in the ocean 
as far as habitat loss. Uh, this mm-hmm. region's heavily mined and drilled, and mm-hmm. they're worried about heavy metal contaminations with narwhals and a, a lot of other things that we'll touch on uh, when we get to the conservation segment of this podcast. But so it is it is worth starting to take notice before it's too late, right? Um, right and right. as we move through the pod too, you're probably going to notice there's, there are some gaps in the knowledge as far as their physiology and behavior because they are still this mysterious sea unicorn. There's still a lot yeah. about them that we don't know. And so if we wait till it's too late, we're not going to, we're going to be basically behind the, what's, what would that analogy be like behind the card or curveball? Yeah. Yeah. No, let's play charades, Chris. Uh, Behind the curve. I think it's behind, I think it's behind the curve. I'm so bad with these kinds of things. My husband always makes fun of me. Um, so we don't want to be behind the curve uh, if we don't have to because they're such they're such cool uh, sea creatures and uh, cetaceans. Yeah, they are. They're amazing. I mean, whales are amazing. And oh yeah, I'm in love. Yeah, and the ocean's a big place. And when you t- again, we you know, it just blows me away. You know, we're we're, we're here after a year. We're talking about all these different species. Is that what, I mean, is some that what, species is that what blows you away that we haven't been kicked off the air yet? Yeah, that, somebody, that too. <laughs> somebody hasn't come in with a cane and been like, "You two, out of here, out of here." <laughs> no, you're no, fired. Yeah, no, fired. no. It's I mean, you know, we go back to you know, you got the catball langer. Shout out to Niaga Leonard out there in Catball Island. You know, you're down to sixty, sixty right. or seventy. I mean, that is insane. That is insane. We did Sumatran rhino with Doctor Long. You know, you're down to 50, 60 animals. That's insane. That's but, an upper battle for sure. Yeah. But still, when you're talking about 123,000 in the Great Blue Sea, that's huge. That's tiny. It's tiny. Yeah. And as far as the IUCN uh, reports, there are probably only like 12 major pods of them, which isn't very many, like you said, for the, you know, for the, for the, vast region that they are in that they're i mean that's not a lot there there should be no more. historically no. There were a lot more and we're you know we're we're picking animals you know some that we, we pick because they're critically endangered or some that we pick because their physiology is really cool this is one that we picked that the physiology is really cool but you still look at the big picture of all the animals we've covered it, it, where's the population like right. none of the, I can't think of any animal we've covered that is just like huge, booming, doing great. You know, maybe right. we need like, to cover oh, some. Oh man, there's too many of those guys. Yeah. We need to call them. No, I mean, you yeah. know, it's just like. We should look for I that. Can't... That's a good task to look for those guys. Yeah. Yeah. What, what species are, I mean, rats, I guess. Squirrels. Not the, not the little, not the little mice that we've covered, but you know, I guess, yeah, city rats or something. So it's just, yeah, it blows me away. It blows me away. Every, every, every species we've covered to date is in a downward trajectory generally or not doing well, or they're at a low population when, you know, there's seven, eight billion people. There's not a species we've covered that, that's come close to a million, not one. Oh gosh, no. No. And, yeah. and everything we've covered has been about a hundred thousand or less. You know, it's just, and it's, it's going down, it's going downhill, you know, that's scary. That stuff's scary. You know, oh my God. I don't know. Okay. I don't want to make this a bummer po- podcast. I, um, <laughs> time out. I need, I need to go cry in my room for a little bit and come back. Just go get some wine. You'll be all right. <laughs> it's, 
Check. So, I already did that. It's Friday night yeah, here. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. The, you know, so anyways, it just, it blows me away and that's why we care. It's, that's why we do this. We're going to keep doing it. It doesn't matter what Angie and I do in life. We'll be like 90 and be like, Hey, bring John on again and bring him out in his little <laughs> walker. And <laughs> I remember when, you know, so, um, narwhals. Okay. There's single species, uh, and, and Angie already said it, monodon, monoceros. The family is monodon today. And there's only two species, narwhals and beluga whales. Okay. So that's. Okay. The- that's the two yeah. species. They're very closely related. These are the medium-sized whales with, you talked about that forehead, the melon bulbous forehead. That's what they both have, you know, sensory organs. You talked For, about their- at the location. Yes. Yes. Bailey, you know, Bailey, the beluga whale from, <laughs> from Finding Dory. The, you know, again, no, no, no true dorsal fin for long of these, both of these. Now, Earlier I said, hmm, I wonder why that Norwal was hanging out with the belugas. Because, Angie, rarely, and I don't know if you cover this in repro or not, but beluga and Norwals will sometimes interbreed. It's rare, but it does happen. So again, if that was a male chasing a bunch of females, like, hey, baby, you know, singing to them, or mm. it probably was a female that was with some males. It was like, all right, hey, you're my new hubby, so let's go <laughs> and swim. Interesting. Yeah, I, I guess I didn't realize they were that closely related. Yeah. Um, yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting with the calves if they can calve or not. I didn't get but to then, that. But that always leads me to the question of why. Like, what uh, is it not able to find its own mate? Uh, when hormones are, are not enough of them, are they pushed? Are they pushed out of their normal habitat? Yeah. Global climate change. Are they looking for different food sources? So it's. You know, it, it, I, you know, I'm sure probably what happened is one was lost and was like, oh, and they, you know, they're so loud and chatty and just probably ganged up with like, oh, here, you're a bunch of cool whales. Let me hang out with you. I mean, that's yeah. what I would assume, but I don't know. I don't know. It's weird that they can yeah, agree. Well, yeah. The researchers don't know. I'll have to follow up on that story. I don't know yeah. if there was ever anything, uh, that was, that was any, any more follow ups on it, but it is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was cool. Now the tusk, why in the heck? So these are the questions I had, you know, the, the rabbit hole I went down this time. Why in the heck do they have this 10 foot tusk? It is not convenient. It's huge. They, there's, there's some theories on it. They actually did, and, and I don't have it on my slide, but they did see one that used it to swat a fish. So it did use it mm. to, to, to catch a fish. For protection. It, right. It oh, was, for hunting. For hunting. Yeah. Like smacked a, oh, a cod. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and stunned it and then ate it. But like, like you said, they, they it didn't, it didn't spear. No, they don't spear. No, no, can't. That, that'd be kind of hard. Yeah. You know, <laughs> spear yeah. fishing, but you know, probably just swat their head and stunned it and then went and ate it. And that was just one researcher saw that behavior. So who knows if they all do it. Now, like you said, they do have two, but the, the one is, is an actual tooth. So here's the thing. It's got millions of nerves in it. They know that. And it's highly sensitive, this, this tusk. So it's not like dead limb or, or something at the end. They actually can feel with it. So initially what researchers thought is they use this to, to break sea ice, which makes sense, right? That's what I always thought. Yeah. And I, and I think they do use it for that or defend themselves, like especially males, male, you know, males fighting. They, they tend to do that. Now, there is a paper out there that they think, 
and I've read some of the, again, here we go, science, the great debate, that they thought that it could detect changes in salinity and temperatures of water. Hmm. So when they're searching out wow. food. And it was interesting because the study that did it, they they netted or, or got these animals in there. It was I, I kind of agree with the the other view. But what they did is they then they pulled them up to the side of the boat and then they poured in a bunch of different salinity water and they noticed their heart rates went down. And the one researcher's like, yeah, of course their heart rate went down. You know, you were chasing them, got them captured. Of course their heart rate's really high. And then after a while, it's right. going to decrease science. You know, this is why we do that. But, you know, they, they, that was one study that, that thought they could do that. Uh, sexual dominance is, is another thing they, they believe it does. It's pretty much, they think, is a multi-purpose tool. They use it for many things, not just okay. one thing. One right. answer, yeah. sure. But, I, you know, I always think, yeah, breaking through the ice. I mean, if they're under the pack ice for five months out of the year and they got to breathe. Right. They got to go up and get oxygen, right? They're mammals. Yeah, that, that gives them an evolutionary advantage to want to develop this. You know, it gives them that advantage like, oh, you know, why did we get this single tooth growing? Oh, it's just crazy. Like, it's crazy. Imagine the early narwhals with the little stubs. <laughs> yeah, and they, and they did better with their little stubs. And so it just kept, yeah. growing. Just kept it's like growing the- and growing. It's like yeah. I saw that giraffe that giraffe meme again today with the neck getting longer and longer and the tree oh, getting true. taller and taller. It's like screw off. <laughs> well, now what I found interesting is that the the distal end, so the end farther mm-hmm. away from their body, uh, it usually has like a polished appearance, and whereas the remainder can be like reddish or greenish in color due to algae growth, um, and it does have uh it does have a rich blood supply. But broken tusks are common. Ow. And what happens is the, it, do, it doesn't grow back per se, but the end is filled with this yeah, new, the new bone. dentin growth, uh, which is basically, yeah, like, the, uh, right. And they do, the hard stuff. and it's off National Geographic uh, website and they do, I have a really cool graphic that I'll, I'll just have to make sure I, I, I put it on and, and give the, the citation to where you can find it. The, Showing the tooth, it has blood supply and it has a, a highly innervated. So they, they have, mm-hmm. shows the nerves that it has sensory nerves again. So that just to break, just, oh, my tooth, my teeth hurt, hurt thinking about that. Ugh. You know, ow. So, you know, ugh. you know, like, yeah, I know. My poor husband, talk to John. Poor guy had double root canal <laughs> a, uh, a couple weeks ago. <laughs> no, thank you. Yay. No, thank you. Even. The, or, the the dentist was like, whoa, we haven't seen this in a while. <laughs> <laughs> He's such a trooper, yeah. though. He's very, very He's brave. He's a tough man. He's a tough man. Now, you know, again, we're going to – whale evolution, we've covered this. We covered this in blue whales. So, again, going back a long time ago, there was an ungulate, a hoofed animal. It resembled a wolf with hooves. The – like my favorite things ever. Yes. Wolves and, yes. Yes. Yeah, so me- and hoofs. Let's just put it. This is your animal right here. The mesokins, mes, mesonit kids, whatever. The. <laughs> that is totally my spirit animal. Yes. For sure. <laughs> a wolf. We found hooves. it. After a year of podcasting, we found my spirit animal. But yeah. So they, they relate, they're related to artiodactyls. So ah, you're even toed hoofed animals, mammals. Even toed ungulates. Yep. Now, there's one that we've covered that's closely related. That's a land mammal, but loves water. Mm. Oh, 
Oh. Yep, you oh. won that one. Yep, yep. <laughs> that is the camel. Up. That's the camel, high. right? I'm <laughs> just kidding. Hey, I'm kidding. <laughs> you, t- you did beat John on that one. So yeah, they're related to hippos. That's the closest oh. uh, land mammal. So just to summarize, the narwhal's closest mammal is a hippo. Well, besides other whales, right? More or less. Land mammal. Yeah. The closest land mammal sure. would be a hippo, sure. right? Okay. So you... Cool. Over 60 million years, you know, is when. <laughs> yeah, I forgot these... to mention the six, I forgot to mention the 60 million years between yeah. them, but still. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A long, a long, long, long time. Then you got down to the whales and the tooth whales. So you do have the oceanic dolphins, porpoises, then belugas and narwhals. Okay. So they're actually more related to, you know, the, the porpoises and they split off about 10 million years ago. And then gotcha. over time, they developed this crazy tusk. I mean, just crazy tusk. So, yeah, cool stuff. Cool stuff. It's 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 always amazing, natural history. Now, Angie, these ones live pretty long. You know, for for I did see somewhere say as old as fifty five years. I mean, these aren't these aren't held under human care. So, but on average, twenty to thirty years, right? Thirty five yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. No, I read up yeah. to fifty in the wild. Um, but yeah, I think. On average, it's going to be less than that. Uh, but yeah, currently they are not housed under human care in any facilities and any, any time that's happened for whatever reason, um, it hasn't really gone well. They, they just attempts at breeding them have not been successful mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they don't really survive long. So yeah, yeah, it's, the, I guess that's the unicorn nature in them, right? The sea, <laughs> the sea unicorn nature in them. They, yeah. Um, but yeah, and their generation interval, um, so to kind of reproduce themselves to a fully functioning, another breeding adult is going to be, uh, 20 years or so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now some cool physiology. One of the things I want to talk about today is teeth because yes. the tusk is a canine teeth. Okay. So if people aren't familiar with teeth. Generally, this is generally for mammals, and obviously it differs from species to species, but you know, let's just talk about us. So we have our two front incisors. We have two in the top, two in the bottom. Okay. So you have your two central incisors, your bottom two central incisors. Now, the the two next to them are lateral incisors. Okay, so you have four incisors. I wish, I wish I'm- <laughs> I know. I I'm wish like, everybody could see. I wish everybody could see Chris right now. It's, it's, He's totally like touching his fingers, teeth. fingers in his mouth, At least touching his teeth. He's. He's totally giving like this amazing lecture <laughs> to it's, you, it's, to you. <laughs> it's just, a, it's a sad thing that like, I'm the only one that gets to see this and appreciate it. Uh, that's how I teach. And I'm like, Oh my God, you probably just taught this in your class. <laughs> it's like, you can teach me. Uh, no, no, keep going. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll add some, I'll add some facts. So here you go, Angie. This is like, this is like my Friday night entertainment. <laughs> so we have our four incisors, right? The two central, the two lateral, then your canine teeth before your molars. So then you have your first, second, your, your premolars and your molars, and that's the human mouth. So your canine teeth are way to the side. Here I'm pointing to my side for right. Angie. That's where that freaking tooth's coming from. (laughs) That's where that tooth's coming from. So it looks like some weird angle when they have this thing growing out of their face. It's just bizarre. That was going to be my, that was going to be my question, Chris. Um, does it grow out of their face or does it 
grow out, like come out of their mouth. No, it's it's like through the skin of their lip. It's through the skin. Yeah, of their lip. when you do wow, when you look incredible. at the the, I have a, a really good up. yeah, I have a really good close up, and it's it's like it's oh, it's bizarre looking. These things are freaky. They're they're great. They're they're beautiful. But the close up I have, you can see their mouth, and then their upper lip. It's like almost a hose ring with the okay. With the tusk growing right through it. So, ow, for one. <laughs> you right. Know, ow. And then, two, you have this just funky looking thing coming out of one tooth in the upper part of their mouth. It's wow, bizarre. Yeah. yeah. They're just. Okay. Well, my, my, um, quiz time for you to, to go off on a little different direction. Okay. How many teeth does an adult have? An uh, adult human. Oh, uh, without looking at your notes. 21? Meh. 32? Yes. 32. I don't know why my note said, it said 17 to, that's molars, 17 to 21 molars. <laughs> or maybe that's what we can get them. That's the age. Sorry. <laughs> I was trying to cheat. <laughs> I was trying to cheat. <laughs> it's a late night for everybody. That's hilarious. Well, horses and have 32 the- to 34, right? So you have the wolf teeth oh, or yeah. 36. You have wolf teeth and all of that stuff. So yeah. So with that being said, how many, Baby teeth or deciduous teeth oh, our boys have. 24, right? 20. 20, okay. Yeah, yeah. I just taught this the other day. Yeah, so I thought so. It's like, it's like mind. why am I pointing to my mouth? I'm like, I'm sure you just did this in your class. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, we just covered oh, what section. Oh, we're in the digestive system. Oh, okay, there you go. There which you is go. super fun for me. Yeah. Uh, so my poor students. There's, I it was cute the other day. I was... Uh, I went in to teach and I just... I normally wear like nice shoes, like proper... Proper, proper teaching uniform. Yeah. Shoes. Yeah. Te- teaching uniform. And I was so excited about my digestion lecture about the digestive system. Um, I wore my running shoes so I could be like pumped up and jumping <laughs> around and active and <laughs> nutrition. And they all thought I was a, they thought I was a super dork. Nutrition's I interesting. Said, I, I just say, if I just get one of you to care a little bit more about nu- nutrition and the digestive system, appreciation for feces yeah, oh. <laughs> um, than you had when you walked in the door, I will go home a happy teacher. I think we've established you like poop. I think we've established that like by the third podcast. Like, <laughs> Yes. And one of, and one of my students was great. Uh, he was talking about colors of poop and all this and that. So I, I might have a, who has I white poop? A, who has white poop? Come um, on. Birds. No. Well, okay. Birds. What and mammal, bats. what mammal has white poop? Bats? Besides ma- besides bats. Well, I, you can't keep going besides. <laughs> besides. <laughs> I did pretty good. We've covered them. It's really unique oh, okay. to them. Um, in Africa. Yeah, you have such a good memory. In Africa. Like a, okay, okay, okay. Um, uh, they like to eat bone. Oh, hyenas. Yeah. Hyenas have that white poop. It's just really oh, unique to right. them. Yeah, it's yeah, really it's, unique to them. Yeah. Yeah, it's really weird. It's really weird. Now, the cool thing about narwhals, I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff. One of the things is they can stay under for 25 minutes, which is longer than a blue whale. Blue whale was 20 minutes. Wow. I didn't, okay, I didn't catch that. They can dive up to a mile, 5,000 feet or 1,500 meters. I read that and I almost fell out of my seat. Yeah, that's that's incredible. That is deep, deep, because that's where they they hunt. Very deep. You know, they and cold and oh, cold. dark and wow. Yeah. So, so again, how do they do it? Just a quick review. Again, if you haven't heard the blue whale episode, please go listen to it. I need to listen to it again. It was, that was such an amazing, 
uh, episode about yeah, whales. I feel that's when we started like we started like hitting our stride, you know. It was good. Mm-hmm. So whales compared to us have two times the amount of hemoglobin in their blood, so they have more oxygen. They can store more oxygen in their blood that feeds muscles, feeds organs. So while they're underneath, they're getting more oxygen. Remember, they have this non-stick myoglobin. So myoglobin is the protein that binds oxygen in muscles. And obviously muscles, as you're working and as they're swimming, you know, and swimming, need un- it. they need it. Their, their muscles need that oxygen or, or they, they starve and you die. So the myoglobin that's non-sticky, they can store more oxygen in their muscles. So again, that helps them dive deeper. Then they also slow down their metabolism. They get a, a slower heart rate. And so you don't have as much oxygen being used while they do that. And then this isn't even on my slide, but I remember you telling me blue whales, their lungs actually flatten when they dive, right? So just crazy adaptation to, to, to be able to do that compared to land mammals. It's nuts. It's nuts. It's really cool. Really cool stuff. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. And I feel like we have a lot. I mean, I feel like engineers mm-hmm. and researchers have a lot to learn from physiology that they could maybe take to some of their equipment to dive deeper down or to be more efficient at it or to improve you know, how we utilize oxygen or how a submarine utilizes op- oxygen. It's just it's just incredible. Yeah, not only it's, it's not just diving. It's not even just diving, but you know, think about mountain climbers and stuff and the, the oxygen thin atmosphere, right? Right. I didn't even think of that. Yes, yeah, exactly. exactly. Like up there. Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Now the predators, humans, as you mentioned, and then killer whales, orcas. Now we were talking about them diving deep. They they're carnivores. They feed on a whole bunch of stuff, deep sea things, uh halibut cod, squid, shrimp. Uh, probably sea cucumbers. I mean, get their vegetables. <laughs> That's whatever they can get. Seriously, yeah. Chris, it was, I, so I'm reading about their diet and of course they're carnivores and they tend to be pescivores and of course they eat a little, huh. they eat some mollusks. But I was reading one, one passage that was like, popular foods are polar cod, Greenland halibut, flounder, salmon, herring, crustaceans, octopus, squid. And I'm like, holy smoke, this is my kind of diet. <laughs> yeah, we're going to, the, we're going like, to seafood tonight, John. <laughs> that is, I, I mean, I feel like I don't, I feel like I could be a vegetarian, but I would be still eat seafood to give up sea, seafood. seafood. Yeah. Let alone polar cod, Greenland halibut, flounder, stamp. Oh my gosh. So they have, this is the animal that I feel most impressed by their diet where I'm jealous to the core of what they this eat. Diet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they mm-hmm. do. There's a lot of good fish up there. They, in the studies that they've done, they mostly eat cod and halibut. That makes up most of their diet. But like I'm you said, fine with that. yeah, but like yeah. you said, they, again, that's, they eat other things. And then, you know, I'm sitting here thinking global warming, how's that going to affect cod? How's that going to affect halibut as the, the waters warm up? Are there going to be more moving south? You know, things like that. Now, remember, oh, what species was it that does the sucking? I guess it was. Yes. I guess it was whale it's shark. Walrus. Well, walrus too does it. And then okay. whale shark does it mm-hmm. too. So that's what these do. So like beaked whales, they don't have the beaks. So what they do is they, they create that vacuum by sucking prey into their mouth. They go, and then yum, mm, have some sushi. Yeah. 
The few functional teeth that the animal does have, uh, they use it to suction and the emission of a jet of water to dislodge prey, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. such as different bottom living fishes and mollusks. And they also have a highly flexible neck that can help scan broad areas, which will inevitably help them capture more. Like Chris said, one researcher reported that they, you know, use their tusks to slap it mm -hmm. in order to stun the fish, but the flexible neck and muscles in the necks help them get better uh, scanning areas and see more, see more things around them. Right. right. Now I've got an amazing picture that I'm looking at. And again, I'll try to, I'll post this on the, the show notes, but a whole pod of them in the sea ice and their behavior, you know, their group mm -hmm. behavior. I think there's some cool stuff that, that you get to cover with that. Yeah. Well, there definitely are, like you mentioned, they're social animals, gregarious, um, and they're commonly found in pods of six to 20 or even more. Um, and the pods that they're in are often segregated by sex. So there might be a, a bachelor group or more of a female group with calves. And smaller groups will tend to gather during the migration seasons to form herds of hundreds, if not thousands. That's what I want to see. Yeah, that would be... Uh, can you imagine seeing a thousand of those? Oh, my God. Yeah. That would be nuts. Yeah. Um, and so... But a lot of times, they'll be seen in groups during packs of ice throughout the year. And breathing holes, so holes in the ice, are often maintained through sheets of ice by... They'll, like, thrust their head and their thick melon to sometime, with sometimes several animals at once um, onto the ice packs. And then really, Chris, there's still a lot of holes in their time budgets or their behavior year round as far as what they do. I mean, we obviously know they're cetaceans, so there's, you know, similar will and porpoise and dolphin like behaviors, but because they have never really been housed um, under human care very well and just in general from the region that they live in, and the hard access to get there, we're probably still, I don't, I don't know if we're at our, the infancy mm -hmm. of knowing about their behavior, but there, there's definitely not a ton of reports on it. Uh, and for communication, similar to the beluga, they do echolocate and they have that melon region on the front of their forehead. And so their main communication to one another is in form of uh, echolocation clicks and whistles. And once again, researchers don't really know the extent of what all these clicks and whistles mean, but they, whether it's their own language and the full scope of things that we're even like just starting to learn about dolphins, we're definitely <laughs> light years, far, yeah. far, 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 yeah. far, you know, light years behind yeah. in narwhal research. Uh, so hopefully maybe some of you young listeners out there will hop on the first boat to the Arctic and become the next Jane, Jane Goodall of, of narwhals. narwhals because they need, yeah, yeah, they need somebody like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, but here, stand by one second. I'll see if I can get a click and a whistle for you. Man, that sounds like your two-year-old. Seriously. <laughs> Mom, give me food. <laughs> I like, oh, we had, we, uh, we recently fell back here. Uh, for those of you that yes. are from North America, we change our times in the spring and the fall. 
And so oh, that's the worst. it is the worst. And so in the fall, we quote unquote gain an hour, right? No, right. no, right. Yeah. We'll fall, we'll fall back. We'll fall yeah. Back. You gain an hour. Yeah. It's gaining an hour. Yeah. Gain an hour. But anyways, for whatever reason, my kids, their schedules have not changed. And so Zachary is up at like five in the morning, sounding oh, like a narwhal. Clicking, yeah. clicking and whistling and ma. Ah, ah. This new thing is new thing is like daddy's bed, daddy's bed. Oh god! He likes to come play uh, with us, and I'm so tired yeah. that I'm just like, come on, because come on in. But then he then, he, to then he wants kid. to party. It's like <laughs> it's just a mess. <laughs> oh, parenting uh, is an act of yes. selfless love. That's for sure. Yeah, and you, yeah, and, and just no sleep, just no sleep, <laughs> just don't. Yeah, a until lot, they're teenagers. A yeah. lot of laughter and a lot of jo- a lot of joke material oh, for yeah. sure. Um, but yeah. yes, yes, so they're great. They're great. Now you mentioned earlier about breeding intervals and you know thousand, you know, calling at least a thousand over a year. So what's their you know, repro status. Yeah. Well, Chris, so what do we know? (laughs) You, man, you could write the book. You, yeah. Uh, well, honestly, a lot about the narwhal mating system is unknown, but what we do know is that males reach sexual maturity around eight to nine years old. And depending on what they're rank is in the pod or the female availability, that doesn't necessarily mean they'll breed when they're eight or nine. Um, and we're f- similar for females. They reach sexual maturity around four to seven. So it it's, takes them a while, right? There's a, sl- a slow turnover rate. Um, but mm-hmm. when boy narwhal meets girl narwhal and they fall in love, which we don't really know a lot about how that works, uh, we do know that they will copulate vertically in the water, belly to belly, and we do know that uh, the narwhal is a seasonal breeder with mating occurring in March to May and with a gestation period of 15 months, so a year and some change. Wow, a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Serious investments, which is similar to other cetaceans. Uh, but the calving mm-hmm. season is usually in July or August of the following year. So when a male and female do copulate and fertilization takes place, it has been mm-hmm. reported that um, a fetal or embryo. It has been reported that embryo narwhals will uh, implant in the left uterine horn. So okay. they must be similar to horses, where they have like a left and a right mm-hmm. horn. And why they pick the mm-hmm. left, I don't know. There's not enough research to really know why, or probably even yeah, how valid yeah. that is. Uh, but yeah, the, but then the female will gestate for about uh, 15 months or so, and. When the calf is born, it's usually a singleton, uh, although there have been some reports of twins. And that's, you know, that's, wow. that's interesting. Yeah. That's similar to like to, yeah. to horses, right? Or hoofstock. Um, and the birth is going to take place tail first. And the calf is born ready to swim. And soon after birth with lots, like lots of blubber, about 25 millimeters of blubber. And they weigh about mm-hmm. 80 kilograms. And they're anywhere from a one and a half to 1.7 meters long. So that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty good. Pretty yeah, big. it's a pretty big calf. Um, yeah. Yeah. And the lactation is unknown for, so for how long they lactate, lactate, but, and feed their offspring. But it's suspected that, um, 
the maternal investment is minimally 20 months, if not longer. So up to two years. Wow. So that's probably, once again, that's going to slow down their breeding interval, right? To minimally, like probably three years or so at that's if a female is really producing, it's at most going to be every, every third year. And the calf is going to reach maturity when it's about four meters long, weighs about 900 kilograms uh, for a female and about 1600 kilograms in a male, which once again is about when um, they're anywhere from five, six, seven, eight years old. So, yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing that's is, cool, yeah. yeah, it takes, it, it, there's, there's not a high turnover rate. So as you mentioned, when you're, you know, when you're calling a thousand or so that we know of without the poaching trade or whatnot, uh, you know, it's, can we really, can, can they really, with, how long can they withstand that? It is. I mean, it, it's, it's a good segue into conservation. I mean, even though it's least concerned, they, they were nearly threatened, then they came back down. Mm-hmm. Just recently, you know, still when you only have 123,000, you're losing a thousand just to hunting. Sure. Now you have oil and gas exploration is a major threat. Now there, there's, there's ships going over the North Pole because less sea ice, right. you know, less of a season of, of sea ice. So you have ship strikes. Pollution, noise, yeah, noise and chemicals I mean, and. Yeah. Yeah, and there's just a lot invasive, problematic species, genes, diseases, uh, biological resources, fishing, over harvesting for aquatic resources. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's some. It's the, ugh, it's not. Uh, well, I don't want to go. We're not, know, we're not doing the downer podcast. No, and, and, <laughs> and the past, the, the other thing too is their population trend is unknown. So I don't want to mislead anybody. Like we don't. A lot of times it's reported. Okay, this is increasing. More often it's decreasing. Mm-hmm. Within our walls, it's potentially a hopeful story because we don't know what their population, if there's trending upward or downward. Uh, but hopefully in the years to come, we can gather more data and we'll be able to, you know, they, they estimate there's about 123,000 individuals at this point in time in 12 subpopulations yeah. with a varying degree of genetic differences and geo- geographic isolation is another issue, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, time will tell, but it is good to know that a lot of groups out there well, not a lot. I shouldn't say it's not. It's not like some of the more trendy animals. There are mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there are conservation groups out there that are trying to do more research and monitoring. Um, they don't really have an action recovery plan, but they are monitoring and protection of the waters. Conservation sites are identified, um, but they're not. They really haven't been protected yet. Yeah, yeah, you know, and yeah, not needed. I mean, and it's again, you know, we we cover some of these species that aren't on the endangered list, uh, quote unquote, and it's we know we have limited resources, right. right? So there are like the vaquita, and even blue whales are still endangered. So there's other species that are in a little bit more of a crisis than narwhals. But again, another species of the Arctic. You know, they're, they're in the same boat as the walrus, as the polar bear, as belugas, you know, other species up there right. that, that roam that part of the world. Yeah. And I do think the good news is that there are starting to be, um, more education and it's, and more legislation that's being mm-hmm. internationally recognized with narwhals and they are subject to international management and trade controls. So 
Right. That's helpful. Yeah, it is. It is. So who's, who's out there fighting the good fight? Well, not a lot of people. <laughs> not as many. It's kind of like, that was my, I remember with hippos, I was just crushed. I'm like, okay, new goal in life. I need to, John, I need to start like a hippo conservation. Yes. There's just not, they need it they, because they need it. They yeah. need it. Narwhals yeah. need it. Um, and they're not as necessarily popular. Uh, I couldn't find any group that focuses on just narwhal conservation. Right. Um, of course, you always have the wonderful World Wildlife Fund that mm-hmm. is definitely looking into um, their conservation and fighting for narwhals as far as doing some research and, of course, education and raising funds about awareness and trying to protect these guys. Mm-hmm. So that's great. So uh, you can adopt a narwhal from World Wildlife yeah. Fund, which is super <laughs> It's so funny. Yeah, really cool. I, I was, uh, I had the boys at, uh, my husband's zoo and we were on their, and on their back room work table, group table that everybody works at. Of course, there was a World Wildlife Fund holiday, uh, shopping guide, which is super oh, phenomenal. No. Yeah. Uh, yes. go online if you are, I go yeah, broke. Uh, if you're looking for gifts for friends and families around the holiday seasons or for birthdays or just in general because you love people, because some of these gifts are just amazing and charming. Everything from T-shirts to, to uh, ceramic cups to artwork to calendars. Xander, my son, wants a calendar he picked out. But in the in the back, they have all of the plush animals. We call them plushies in our family of the different endangered species. And so Xander and I and Zach... Zachary, while we were waiting for my husband to finish work, we were like picking out all of our, fa- all of our favorites. And I, and, and a narwhal was on there and Xander was like, I want the, he That's was like, awesome. I want the narwhal. And so I'm, I think I need to get it for him because it's just Santa, Santa needs to bring him a narwhal. Yeah, yep. Like who, <laughs> who gets to like, yeah. I mean, who has a narwhal stuffed yeah, animal, right? That's so cool. A nobody. Uh, uh, then, <laughs> right, Xander, right. hopefully. And, and then let alone that then the funds get to go to, um, to their conservation. So World Wildlife Fund, they're amazing. I wish they would hire us. <laughs> uh, I know. I know. I love, and then, I love um, them. And then, and then of course, I always want uh, people to check out or like on Facebook, the American Cetacean Society. They have a lot of really cool information about cetaceans. So whales, dolphins, and porpoises on their Facebook group and on their website. And they link a lot of researchers together and educators and conservation groups and they support these animals and help protect them in the wild. So definitely like them on Facebook, uh, check out their website. They're a really great resource to have as far as what's going on in our oceans uh, right now. Right. Mm -hmm. And lastly, Chris, I want to give a really quick shout out to a group called Peppermint Narwhal Creative. So Mm -hmm. they're a really cool uh, creative media and or um, brand company. And they have, they love narwhals, first, first of all, it's in their name. Uh, but they basically celebrate the animal kingdom from iconic and obscure graphics and designs and slogans and uh, like info, not infomercials, but like info 
infographics. Yes. And they work uh, with a lot of different institutions, conservation groups and institutions to help basically spread the message of like why you should love animals and nature and the ocean, especially marine life. They're huge narwhal fans, obviously. And they basically enjoy like having the mystery and trying to unravel it about animals and just their, their graphics are phenomenal. And, and so if you, if you're not familiar with this group, this, this work, because if you obviously don't need to hire them to make an infographic for you, just, just go like them on Facebook and check out what they do. Um, there's their Facebook feed is really full, filled with something new and fun each day about animals with facts and Mm -hmm. groupings and taxons. And that's, they're one of the ones I see like, once a week where I'm like, Oh, Chris, we got to cover this one. I forgot, you know, so I want to, yeah, definitely give peppermint narwhal creative. And that can be, they can be found obviously on Facebook or www.peppermintnarwhal.com. So they're, they're, they're a group doing cool things and taking their, their passion about their, you know, they're not necessarily scientists or conservationists Mm -hmm. per se classically, but they've taken their art and their media and their design ability and basically help educate a lot and inspire a lot of people. And so kudos to you guys. Yeah, they're pretty cool. Yeah, they're really cool. They're really cool. All right, before we get to the largest tusk ever, Angie, uh, conservation tip of the week. So again, focused on the Arctic, reducing carbon emissions. So I thought this one was good and that's reuse and recycle. And I'm not talking just about recycling your, your cans and your bottles and things like that. It's, it's estimated right now about 30% of greenhouse gas emissions from the United States. Now, this is probably very similar to many countries across the world, wherever you're listening to, results from quote unquote provision of goods. That means to make, package, deliver new products burns a lot of fossil fuels. It takes a lot to do that. Even new vehicles, right? But if you buy used products, and resell or recycle items that you don't use, you will drastically reduce carbon emissions. So you're talking about the holidays. Maybe you go to, you know, a shop, a used shop, buy some used toys for your kids, repackage them. Absolutely. You know, instead of going and buying the brand new thing from Toys R Us isn't even around anymore in the States, but wherever, Mm -hmm. you know, there's none of that packaging. When you go to buy a car, you should never buy a brand new car anyways, because the second you leave the lot, you've lost like thousands of dollars or wherever currency. Oh, or, the depreciation is crazy. Yeah, buy a used yeah. car that's been out for a year or two. You know, it's... Well, and even the way my boys grow go through clothes and mm-hmm. destroy them, I just go to the resale shops. I'm not buying them anything new. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think in for toys, it, we, we usually get a, a lot of our books from the library. But, of course, you need books at home, you know, a, a lot of books at home to read. And so we either get hand-me-downs from friends or we will, yeah, go get them from, like, a Salvation Army. Yeah. There's lots of resources. Like, one, what is it? One man's trash is another yeah. man's treasure. Treasure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what I'm missing. And it should be because, and I guess if you all, and I've really tried to train my brain, and I know my husband does this a lot. Like, when I put something in the dumpster, I'm really, like, Okay, this is going to be on earth for the next 500 years. Yes. Like I'm putting this if I put this in the dumpster. Yes. I'm okay with the fact like I've tried I you know, I've tried to reuse it. I've tried to reduce it or recycle, minimize yeah. it or recycle it and I can't. 
So therefore it has to go in here. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, and of course there's stuff like that. Yeah. It's just, it will. I, we, yeah. We Every can, day there's stuff that we can't get not perfect. We're not going to be zero sum. I mean, it's, it's, it's impossible no right now. Uh, the way our, our world's built, maybe one day there'll be a zero mm-hmm. sum for carbon emissions for hum- humans. You know, we may get there one day, but we're not there yet. The, the goal is to slow down and stop the carbon emissions that are polluting the, the atmosphere. Way, right. And just the general waste, especially here in the States. It's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Largest tusk ever, Angie. You said mammoth mastodon. You're close, but it wasn't them. This is the the paleoloxodon, which is the straight tusked elephant. Okay. Ah, okay. Okay. It's close. At least I was in the right right area. Yes. So it had a tusk that measured 16 and a half feet or almost five meters. Wow. From, you know, end to end. Yeah. Super long. And they died out about 30,000 years ago in Europe. Now, some other horn facts or some horny facts. Bring them. Give them to me. I love them. So the mammoth, the Colombian mammoth was 16 feet. That's the longest tusk they've found. Elephants today, the longest tusk ever found in any elephant, African elephant was 11 and a half feet. Okay. So pretty long. It was longer than the narwhal. Rhinos, the longest horn ever found in a rhino, was six feet long or 1.8 meters. Oh, wow. Now, you would have thought Triceratops, right? I would have thought a Triceratops would have had super long horns. They're actually only three feet or a meter. So they weren't very big. I mean, they're they're still big. I mean, it's a big horn on a big creature. Yeah, yeah, big creature. But... Still, the straight straight tooth elephant wins out again. Hmm. Elephants number one. <laughs> I was say, are so are, is this guy? Was this guy bigger than the mammoth? The it, it, uh, probably the same size, roughly same size, okay. and it's just it was a straight tooth because the mastodons. Mm-hmm. I mean, the mastodons weren't quite as tall as a Colombian mammoth. The Colombian mammoth was enormous, but they had the big long curves. But still, from end to end, gotcha. this guy was just a little bit bigger. So they're they're about the same size. Uh, as that. Cool. Yeah, they're big, big guys. All right. So again, for us, as we're in our, in our second year, please share. If you have somebody that loves the ocean, say, Hey, check this podcast out. We've covered a lot of ocean creatures. We've got another land or creature. Somebody that loves, or somebody that loves unicorns. Yeah. There you go. A kids, somebody with kids say, Hey, your kids will love this podcast. Just fast forward through some of the repro stuff sometimes. But other than that, we warn you when that comes up. Yeah. Yeah. We try to keep it. Peaceful. Yeah. We do. We do. So anyways, Angie, thank you. We got another big one coming up next week. I know. I'm really excited. So stay tuned. Stick with us. And thank you for listening, everyone. All right. Take care. Listen. Learn. Share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.